They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were we're being saved. This is the word of the Lord. And you say, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Many of you have heard that passage before. I want to invite you to take two minutes and like what, after hearing that again, this early description of the early church like stands out to you. What's, what, what jumps out? What words kind of leap off the page for you? As you listen to that being spoken, take two minutes and just turn to your neighbor uh, and share. Let me bring you back here. This passage in Acts 2.42, this is what we're going to be kind of like jumping off of today. This is a very familiar passage. How many of you have heard this before? Yes. This is um, this moment in the history of God's people where the promise that Jesus um, laid out for the first apprentices came to pass. He said, I'm going to send someone to help you, to remind you of the things that I've taught. And then there's all of this empowerment language that takes place alongside the giving of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the stream of church that you came up with came up in, you heard about the Trinity, but you got it wrong. It was the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. I've been surprised at how many people I meet who have sort of found a way to uh, uh, sort of exile the Holy Spirit from their understanding of who God is. And Jesus says, I'm sending someone better. He says, better for me to go and to send my spirit to remind you. Many have commented how presence prevents empowerment. Any of you who are leaders or coaches, you know this. There's something about when you get out of the room that the people that you're trying to raise up, lead, coach, uh, they actually, they feel uh, more empowered when you're out of the room. Now that's not our whole theology of the Holy Spirit, but there's something in this reality of the giving of the spirit that is meant to then empower in light of all that Jesus said, this first church community. And so what we're looking at in this passage, why this passage preaches, why it comes up so often, why I can't even tell you the amount of times I've come back to this text for one reason or another, is because I think we know in our bones whether we're talking about organizations, whether we're talking about like our personal mission and calling, or we're talking about the church, is like Malcolm Gladwell says, vision kind of leaks. Or there's such a thing as like vision drift. It is very, very easy to all of a sudden find yourself off mission, not aligned with your vision. All of a sudden a church can be like um, overemphasizing and underemphasizing the wrong sorts of things. It can be inviting, uh, we can be inviting each other to things that aren't actually deeply aligned with the things of Scripture. And so we go back, I find often, not to make an idol out of the early church. There's, if you've read the New Testament at all, you know how absolutely jacked up the early church was. It's pretty rough. But sometimes we're like, oh man, it's only these days we've really messed the church up in the 21st century. Like, nope. As soon as you get broken, hypocritical, jacked up people together in a room together in light of the fallen world and the ways that we choose things less than love and less than goodness, God's very clear like things are going to go sideways. Will you lean on my grace and allow me to correct you and lead you? 
And so this is what we go back to this passage because it is like right at the Genesis, like, wait, God just poured his spirit out and this is what begins to happen. Epic moment of the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then you read in Acts 2, 42 to the end, some just really simple, steady, daily rhythms that are given birth. The question that is usually asked when we go back to this text is what kind of community does God want? Because I think many of us, we, um, when we first came to Jesus or, or for me, I didn't have like a come to Jesus moment. I was raised in, uh, in the church and in a, like, I can't remember a time where I didn't like trust that God loved me in some way because of just how I was raised. But I, I, I had like a come to church moment where some people kind of have a come to Jesus moment. So whether you had one of those two, like you just, you woke up to the reality and beauty of the kingdom of God in the church, or, or you had a moment or moments where you woke up to the beauty of God's grace, you signed up in some way. I think most people in their bones, they signed up for a revolution and then ended up feeling like they're attending a social club. They signed up for a revolution and we find ourselves feeling like, are we just managing an organization here? Is this just a good, nice kind of cultural lifestyle tack on or is it something more than that? This is why we go back to a passage like this. Have we drifted? Have we fallen into some, have we overcomplicated things? Or maybe we've undercomplicated some things. What kind of community does God want? I love this passage because I don't know anybody, and I'm sure they're out there, I don't know anybody who gets like allergic to a passage like this. I don't know anybody who like, I mean, there's passages in the Bible you don't like lead with. Like I invite my buddy to come to church and you know the pastor gets up and starts talking about some really archaic law in Leviticus and you're like, no, wrong Sunday. No, this one, it's like, oh yes, he's preaching on that one. They took care of one another's needs. That's good. Like really hard to like throw stones at that. This is the beginning of the revolution. And it's important to point out that directly out of the gate, we see two dimensions, personal and a communal. And I wanna to emphasize today the communal because as followers of Jesus being formed by Western individualistic culture, we can too easily miss and minimize or even write off things that we read in this passage. Things like the breaking of bread, by the way, this word bread comes up time and time again, just in this little section, never mind the first half of the book of Acts. Bread, what is it about bread? Oh, or things like they had everything in common. All right, some of you, I don't know, maybe you come from a more like conservative strain and you immediately like you read that and you're like, I didn't know the Bible was Marxist. I don't know, I'm just guessing. It's not, by the way. Or how Luke talks about like they sold property to give to others. The accounts of the early church don't just talk about the internal spiritual dimension, but they talk about how God was radically transforming the way that they saw their stuff. And this is hard for us. It's similarly like how love your neighbor is easy and love your enemy is hard. Love your neighbor is like, yeah, of course. And love your enemy is like, well, you know how you interpret that. 
It's just when, like, you know, your next door neighbor's being slightly annoying. That's all it is. Not laying down your life, not choosing martyrdom over murder every time, not, doesn't have any major questions about how we think about security or anything like that. No, that's too far. Right? As soon as something begins to affect our pocketbook, like, we tend to, like, want to slip and slide out of things. Or when anything hits close to home, it's not just our pocketbook. It's all sorts of like key discussions that as soon as that actually begins to cost you something, it isn't just going and cognitively ascending to some ideas, going to a church building or a gathering like this and affirming something really good and leaving with that great feeling. As soon as it starts to trickle down into the blood and guts of our life, we can tend to squirm. And I think that's what happens when we talk about bread. The accounts of the early church don't just talk about the internal dimension. Luke tells us a story about individuals being transformed, but within a context of a community that is reorienting the way that it lives together. And he's got this thing about bread, brings it up again and again and again. Jesus radically changes the way they thought about bread, about stuff about what it represents, about the larger food discussion, about what it means uh, of his breaking of his body and pouring out his blood, what we do in community changes the way we think about this. And, and my little thesis, I guess, for the talk today is we are still talking and still wrestling with the issue of bread. This has been a, a regular problem, but it hit like a fever pitch um, in 2008 or nine, I believe. But this article I read recently was from 2020. Um, Somali pirates um, continue, continue to go after these like, these are basically pirating this shipping route again and again and again. There's a recent story of a hijacking of a Panama flagged ship. They take over the boat, create a situation where there's ransom or take and sell off some of those supplies. This comes up again and again. And many have asked the question, why in this day and age is things, something like piracy in this way still happening? And so besides the like quick move, which is like, oh, this is wrong. People shouldn't do this. You're stealing other people's stuff. Anyone who's really interested in trying to get to the bottom of the problem will ask, what's the story behind the story? What is the story behind Somali pirating? Well, it's 48 year life, 48 year life expectancy versus 78 Somalia versus the United States. One out of 10 children in Somalia dies in childbirth. 33% of children under five are malnourished and that will almost certainly lead to disability and most often death. Average household yearly income is 650 American dollars. That's one to $2 a day. This is a country that doesn't have enough bread. So, Though we can condemn, we also should not be surprised that when millions of dollars float by the coast, that there isn't a temptation to uh, do your best like Robin Hood impression. <laughs> There's a story, uh, this 36-year-old mother of five, and she's talking to this reporter and just says, our children are not worried about like food now in this one region. And this was directly related to these pirates, they were heroes in this one hometown. They were providing bread. 
And then at the same time, you had something else going on, especially when this story first broke. And I remember this. This was back, I think, in 2008. And this is when the big, like, fallout happened uh, financially. The economy tanked, and the government was doing some payouts. And there was a, a bit of, like, question marks about who they were paying out to and how much. Well, one of the bailouts went to this uh, very large organization, AIG. And it turned out, like, a, a photo got leaked online, and then the rest of the story came out, was that exe executives who had just been bailed out by the government went to a California result um, built on taxpayer money that had given to them. $440,000 was given to this retreat for mostly, quote, pedicures and manicures. Now, I don't think they had $440,000 pedicures, but you know what I'm saying. And naturally, what do you think the, action, the reaction was in that moment? You can just say bad, angry. What would your, what would, even just hearing that story, what is the reaction in your heart? Like, this is like unjust. There's an outrage. It's not right. This is violence. And, and honestly, it usually isn't the issue of, oh, they have more money, though that is part of it, but it is an issue of access. Why is there this chasm everywhere you look, not just in our country and not just in this time between the haves and the have-nots? Many throughout history have stepped forward to try to propose plans to fix this. There is the forced equality theory, which is the Robin Hood, Karl Marx, Soviet Union move. We're gonna, we're gonna force uh, redistribution. There's the survival of the fittest theory. You just work hard enough and you get a job and I know it's tough, but like whoever like makes it to the top makes it to the top. That's it. Those who are fit, their lineage, that will go on. That's, we need to like put all our attention there. Make the haves really guilty. <laughs> if you can just make people feel bad about their blessing and just make people feel bad enough about their privilege, then maybe they'll give. This is, feels really good, but is fraught. We've seen this. Then there is the market will correct itself theory. <laughs> just be patient. In time, it will correct there have been seasons where that's sort of been true and then seasons where it just has not been. Luke is not just talking about individual people being saved here. He's saying that this, there was a new way that people related to each other and it was reorganized around how they dealt with their stuff. No one is forced, regardless of where the market is at a given moment, they were being invited, the haves and the have-nots, into the same room. Luke is talking about a new community that rearranged themselves in a way that led to tangible outcomes. So if you go back to the text, what were they doing? Let's just walk through the text really quick. You with me? Yes? What were they doing? Can we do the same thing? Again, like a vision thing. I want to just reorient our hearts like back to the simple realities of like, can, can we do this? Are we doing this? Are we doing this well? Do we need a little like reminder as we're going into this season of like what it looks like to be the church? First off, verse 42. I don't know if you have the text there. You could throw that up if you have it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. People give themselves to things. They give themselves to governing. They give themselves to sports. They give themselves to their work. This word here is about devotion. It's a whole life word. They devoted themselves full time. This is why it's really, really important for us to have an honest conversation of like, some of us are flirting with church and some of us are like, we are in the family. 
I think part of what gets in the way of this like devoted to the revolution kind of language is we immediately go, and pastors are so guilty. I can be guilty of this. We go to sort of a heroic vision only of what it means to be a part of the family of God and be a part of the church. And we don't talk about what is reality, which is like the daily non-heroic and small, simple acts of love and generosity that actually produce the larger revolution, produce and give witness, bear witness to the kingdom. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In essence, like they devoted themselves to the gospel. The apostles were teaching the story of God. This is, what, this is the true story of the whole world. This is how we got here. This is why things are jacked up. This is why everybody longs for everything to be in its right place. This is why we all weep for utopia. It's like he's saying, this is why every book and every superhero movie and every bit of philosophy that will clamor through the ages up until this day will be pining for something and knowing that there's something out of whack and things need to be aligned. And that ache and the, the, the fulfillment of that ache is found in the person of Jesus. He begins and roots the existence of this community, stay with me, in this teaching. It's important that we start with what's most true about the world. And he roots it in the work of God. The gospel is that Jesus is king. That's the good news that is announced. Jesus is king. And you have been saved by grace. Welcomed into the family. Empowered by the spirit to go and participate in heaven now and on into eternity. This is the biblical story of an announcement of the gospel. He roots it all in the work of God. This is what has been done for you too. The word fellowship then comes up, which is the word koinonia. Can you say koinonia? Koinonia. Joint participation. That's all this word means. If you're taking notes, right? Joint participation. Luke is not talking about the greeting moment in the middle of the service. That is not fellowship. There's a fellowship hall downstairs. It was like built, if we were able to have more access to it, we would use that to go down and like coffee hour. That's like good time to connect. And that can like begin to open the door to true koinonia, but that is not the essence of what's being said here. It's genuine care and concern for those around us. It is, as Dr. King talks about, essentially the beloved community. It is the interwoven reality of people bound together. Then he moves on to breaking of bread. Now in this section, this is more than simply eating. It involves the idea that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He took wine and he poured it out and he gave us a picture. He said, remember this. You are going to be prone to forget that at the center of everything is my forgiveness and grace. There's actually something sacred and powerful and, and otherworldly about this moment when we come and we take the bread and we take the cup. It's like it becomes more than that. It represents a whole story of God's grace. Grace, again, reinforced here. If Jesus did this for us, this is gonna have implications for your day-to-day -day life. It's gonna have implications for like the minute you step out of this building and what we do with our resources and what we do with our time what we do with our hearts, what we do with our minds. All right, we keep going through the text. Prayer. One of the compelling Jewish questions is how can we finite, limited people 
commune with God, address the God of the universe? This is the question that existed back then and it's the question that exists predominantly on TikTok today. Right, we have not shed, though we have moved around of who's in what organized religion and how faith is, like what things are being shed and all of that. And there's a younger generation making sense of church, fine. But the reality of like the spiritual life, the stats actually keep going up more and more people who believe that there is something more. Is that question of, can I commune with the God of the universe? That ache and longing that I have inside of me, is there something I can connect with and know? I don't know if it's like the force. I don't know if it's like some internal, uh, just like setting or if there's actually personality at the center of the world, but that question. And so they devoted themselves to prayer, to seeking after God, to asking and communing and connecting with God. So they devoted themselves to the story of Jesus, caring for each other, breaking bread together and prayer. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy 10. If you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy 10. If you don't know how to spell Deuteronomy and you're using your phone, just type in Deut 10. You'll get there. Check it. It's crazy. How do you spell Deut? Great question. I wonder if D-O-O-T actually works, but I think D-E-U-T. Or Onomy. Just, I don't know. Have some fun with it. (laughs) Deuteronomy 10, 12. Here's why I want to read this. This story of the early church has been unfolding for a long time. If you're new to the scriptures, this is like thousands of years before. This Hebrew tribe that God chooses to reveal the Messiah through was walking with God centuries before in a different way, in a different understanding of who God was. And in Deuteronomy 10, 12, Moses is reflecting on God's offer of what it means to be the people of God. And we read, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord, your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. So what does it mean to be obedient to God? It's like entering into this covenant, into this marriage. And it begins with an awareness that my stuff isn't mine, that everything is a gift. Like, I need you to know that everything you have is a gift. This is why when we, if you're a part of our community, when we usually read our giving liturgy, how does it begin? There is nothing we have that we have not received. If you've ever taken that really seriously, has anyone ever been slightly offended or been like, that's not quite true? You don't know how hard I worked. You don't know how I put myself through college. Everything I have, I've worked for, or most things that I've worked for. And of course, the Christian way of understanding that, which may just be totally offensive and different than how you see it, but the the true Orthodox Christian way is to actually say, even your ability to work hard, all of it comes from God. All of it. It's all gift. And by the way, when you begin to live like that, like everything's a gift. It it does something to your soul. It will produce wonder and joy and freedom like you've never expected. I actually think like Jesus says, it's just a better way to live. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These are the sorts of things in part that he's talking about. What if you were to see all of life like grace and a gift? We go on. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. 
He chose you, their descendants above all nations as it is today. So circumcise your hearts, like get yourself right. Therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He's saying like, there's no inside track here. There's no inside sneaky thing. If you just check these boxes, if you just do this thing, and if you just come from this pedigree, if you just come from this line, then you'll be in. Like, nope. And then 18, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So he starts with like fear, obedience, worship, get yourself aligned with what's most true. It sounds huge. And then where does it go? Providing your neighbor with food and clothing. Welcoming those that are outside the tribe, outside the nation, welcoming them in, caring for them seeing the other and providing for them. Verse 19, and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. That's like, that's like the refrain in the Old Testament of grace. Hey, you, you were that in a very real and cosmic sense. It's all, he keeps going back and rooting it in grace. In grace, you were foreigners, you were enslaved. Some people talk about, you know, the Old Testament not having grace. It's like, are you kidding me? The whole main narrative of the Exodus is literally the gospel, pre the gospel. Rescued from Egypt, rescued from slavery, and then given, here's how we're gonna roll together. Here's how this is gonna go. In response, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Now, if we go back to Luke and Acts 2, 5, we read, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, this is when the spirit was poured out, a crowd came together in bewilderment. The original invitation way back in Sinai, way back in that passage in Deuteronomy was to be a people who welcomed people who are outside their boundaries and to care for them. And now here in Jerusalem, people are doing it all over again. And this specifically along racial lines. Acts 2 is about a whole group of people who began to think differently about God. God hasn't abandoned us. God is still at work. The story is still in play. And as people begin trusting and joining the Jesus movement, they begin to bind themselves to their neighbors. They begin to connect the dots and recognize they have an obligation, an obligation, hear that word, an obligation to those around them. God has been offering this covenant again and again, and it gets crystallized in Jesus. And it's a covenant in which the haves and the have-nots are bound together. Same story, same God, looking for a true community of people. And this is one of the dominant questions of our world that always has been, are the haves and the have-nots bound together? Or are we on our own? To what degree am I bound? And Luke here is just giving an account, bearing witness to what he's seeing here. He says that when the gospel was announced, a community that was deeply bound together by this grace was birthed. The spirit falls and they hear the story of Jesus and the result is that the haves begin caring for the have-nots. Now, let me read this passage to you. I've read million times and never gets old. Acts 4, 32, so just a page later in the story. All the believers 
all the apprentices, all the folks who are dialed in and agree like, yeah, yeah, I think this is the best way to live. Yeah, I think Jesus is king. Yeah, I, 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 I recognize I've been like saved by the grace of God. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. Now, by the way, we know immediately that they didn't all agree on the same things, but they were bound spiritually together. No one claimed that they had any possessions was their own. They had possessions. They had stuff that they had worked for. Some people had more. Some people had worked harder. Some people had been given a leg up. Some people had been born in the hole. Some people had some like major debt and issues, major social class difference, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, children, women, men. But none of them in the family claimed that any of their possessions were their own. Yeah, my house is your house, bro. Yeah, my stuff is my food's your food. My money's your money. We're bound together. Just preaching the word. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that what? There were massive healings. There were some healings. Thousands came to know Christ. Yeah, yeah. From all accounts, like a lot of people began to follow the way of Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that the worship services were like off the chain. We're talking goosebumps for days. No, no. The end of this verse for many of you, I think for many of us feels almost anticlimactic. The powerful work of God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy people among them. That's how powerful God is that there's no needy people in a room. That's how good and how powerful God's grace and miraculous beauty was. Oh, there, that's the effect. So while we don't like create an idol out of like all things early church, we look to them and go, what was it? As we look at the holy text and we go, why did God include this section? And we can answer some, like answer that pretty easily in, in this section. Oh, God wants us to know that when his grace is so powerfully at work and people are truly believing and leaning in to the beauty of who God says that they are, of what God has actually done, one of the very clear effects, and the only one he just happens to mention in this section, is that there will be no needy. That we will walk with unbelievable generosity. Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they enjoyed like the favor of all the people. Let's be really clear. There was a lot of things about the early church that would have absolutely ticked off the Roman authorities because we know that because we have history books. And there's a lot of things that happened in the early church that ticked off the Sanhedrin and the Jewish elite. We know that because we can read not just in the Bible, but like we know from history, this is reality. But the, like there was something about the confusion of this is that famous letter of like, yeah, these people, they're like, sex ethic is weird. The way they give their money is weird. The way that they order themselves is strange. But there was something somehow repelling and so compelling to the world around them. And Luke here is pointing out, dude, it was like, it was like a revival when people began to see these really simple, non-heroic actions play out. We know all this, right? But sometimes we gotta come back to it. 
Someone's got to remember, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is part of the revolution, the kingdom of God, the true story of the whole world. This is where my allegiance is, where like I bind myself to the beautiful story and the work of the kingdom. I got to remember, I kind of have drifted into X, managing an organization. I've forgotten about the revolution. So I need to step back into these rhythms and make sure I'm like, I mean, base levels, like I'm in church every Sunday, but like, that's like nothing, right? Because we know that even throughout the scriptures, like the idea that, you could have a worship gathering and gather together and get all your doctrine right and all your singing right. And how many times does God go after those communities and go, I hate your show. I hate your Sunday morning, essentially, because you're not caring for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the outcast, because you're not doing that. This is a regular refrain, not just a one-off, like again and again and again. You can drift. Hey, church, hey, tribe of Israel, you can drift. You can miss the point. You can miss the mark. I've called you to actually allow the beauty of worshiping me and the awe and wonder of getting your heart right and knowing what's true about the world to then take hold in your soul and it will produce a kind of radical generosity that will change things. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want to land here. Glad. They were glad. It means exactly what you think it was. They were glad. It means excessive joy. Actually, the word in the Greek there just has like some punch to it, the glad in our day, and it doesn't quite capture. Excessive joy. It's this idea of leaping for joy, jumping. And then there's this word sincere, and follow me here. Everyone probably has a good idea what the word sincere means. But in the text, they're like the, the roots of this word are around like to be without a stone or a rock, which feels so random. This is what this means. It's like when you get a stone or a, or a rock in your sandal, uh, ancient converse. Um, like, how do you walk? Yeah, you walk weird. You walk with a, you got a big rock in your shoe. Is that Rafi song? With something in my shoe. Never mind. I, you guys remember that song? I took it off and I shook it. And look it, look it, look it. No Rafi? No Rafi. This is being recorded. Hi, everyone online. Great to, great to have you with us. The piano comes in at that moment. That was perfect. <laughs> right, there's this idea of having something in your shoe. And basically, what's being hit out here, the idea of sincerity is when you're not walking with a limb. There's a bit of a contrast being made. Some people were weeping for joy, or sorry, leaping for joy, and others were limping. There are some here this morning who are leaping for joy. You have healthcare, you have a job, you're doing really well, you're able to put away money, you are upwardly mobile, everything's going well. And there are others who are here and others in our city who are, who are limping. The beauty of this passage, right, is that whether you're limping or leaping, you come and you give praise to God. Praise God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That word favor there, again, is the word charis. Sneaks up on you. It's everywhere, which is the word Grace. Enjoy the grace to the favor of all the people. For what are we known? For what are we known? This description gives us some insight into the kind of community that God wants. So in a minute, we're going to do something just a little, little funny. We've done this before. But I like making sure every like three, four years, I think it's been a while since we've done this, we're just going to reorient our hearts we pass the giving basket. We see like the credit card thing go up, but we want to like do some embodied action today. We want to get our whole bodies into this as we reorient our hearts towards God because some of you are leaping for joy and those that are leaping for joy, I want to ask you like financially, I'm going to ask you to give. 
which we do every week. Some of you are like dedicated. You have an automatic withdrawal coming out for the church. It's amazing. God bless you. That's what this Future Gallers thing is all about, by the way. If you are like a giver in this church and you give, you are welcome to call. Like we want to celebrate you and give thanks to you. But some of you, it's like there's just an abundance in this season. You're leaping for joy. And when I lay out some of the needs that we're going to be addressing this December and into the new year, I know it's going to cost some of you to like to leap more and to give more. And I want you to just toss some of that goodness of God like into the baskets. Or, or if it's something that like, yeah, I don't have any like cash on me or a check. Like just we'll put the text thing up on the screen in a minute and just like somehow find a way to symbolically embody coming up as you do that. Maybe it's just standing, opening your phone and giving that way. I'll give you some more information on that in a minute. But we want to acknowledge that As some of us, like, we need to engage in the beauty and freedom of letting go of those resources because we know that there are some in this room who have lost jobs, some who are limping, some who are in a really tough spot. And so in addition to asking some people to come up and just place money, last time we did this, I remember somebody put a blank check or the name was blank. I think they actually did put an amount. <laughs> but they just put a check in there because there's some of you, and maybe you need to like pull your friend up and bring them up and provide cover because I know this can feel weird, but some of you need to just reach in here and grab some money, right? Some of you might be really hurting or you know someone who's hurting. Like I know somebody who could use like some, 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 some resources. That's why I wanna invite you at the same time as others are coming up to actually give, I wanna invite you to come up and to get and to take. Now, let's be clear. This is not like the most strategic, effective way to deal with all the brokenness in our city. But this is like the bread and the cup, this symbolic act and something that can start right here and be really simple because we have a tendency to overcomplicate some things in the way of Jesus. And really at the end of the day, it is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I got this back from my, I know I'm gonna get this back from my taxes. I had a really good year. I got a bonus this year. Like somebody, this literally just happened. Like I got a bonus this year of a couple thousand dollars. I'm like, cool, I'm just gonna throw that in there. I don't need it. And sure enough, it's like the right amount for somebody else who has a serious kind of epic thing going on in their life right now. But maybe for you today, it's taking that your story card that every single week we say, if there are any needs, we wanna make sure there are no needy among us. We do this every week and just write it out on the card. I was at East Side this morning and I wrote out a couple needs that I know like friends I need like to take care of and just put it on the card, just drop it in. Maybe it's you, maybe it's someone else. This is a need. Leave your contact information so our team can follow up with you, connect the dots, cut a check where needed, provide financial management where needed, provide prayer and care or anything else where needed. Yeah, you can begin to kind of prepare for this moment. Again, for some of you, like I don't have anything physical to give, but like just stand and give to that Future Builders Fund. I wanna invite you to give to that this morning. If you um, weren't here last week, we shared a few of those things that we're giving to. There's a medical clinic that we've been committed to for the last seven years in one of the poorest regions of the world in the Congo. We have trained 22, been able to finance fully like 20 something nurses over the years to be able to get fully like uh, all the training that they need provided thousands of dollars of um, resources for this, um, for this clinic in this region. 
Uh, this year we're committing with RIP medical debt. We can pay, this is the fascinating way you can look this up, we can pay pennies on the dollar to alleviate medical debt in our region. So our goal is to like, just get rid of $100,000 worth of medical debt. People will literally receive a check and a note saying, hey, Sanctuary Church via RIP medical debt was paid off your whole medical debt. You're, you're done. You're done, you're good. Grace. Because some of us have had like $30,000 health insurance for years. As other people, like it's crippling them and not allowing them to move forward in life. So let's just take care of that. So just give into that fund. There's Afghani refugees that are ahead of this way. Some of them, there's 13 families that have already come and there's another 30 that are coming in the next couple of weeks. We have a really unique opportunity with Bethany and Dorcas as of now to be able to provide for uh, the housing. People have reached out directly to our church and saying, do you know anybody who could put people up? Uh, we have some apartments, we need to furnish them. And I was like, oh, our church would take care of that. So let's, let's give, let's give so we can buy like a couch so people could sit and a mattress so people can lay their head down. Maybe, maybe what you need to drop in there is like, I have, a, I have a house. I have an apartment that I can give. Well, let's do this. This isn't complicated. This isn't a big thing. I'm horrible at like giving campaigns and end of year. I, I, yeah. This is just the church. And we do this in some way every week, but we wanna focus our attention on these initiatives, on these future builder initiatives. So come, come and give or come and take. Come and bring up that, your story card and go, I have a serious need. I don't know what to do with this debt. I don't know what to do with my rent this month. Or I have a friend who is about to like be in serious trouble or just needs a leg up, needs a job. You know, anybody like just bring that forward and let's trust the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. Let me say one last thing to those that are in a place of need or know somebody in a place of need. If you don't come up, if you don't like submit that need or grab some cash or a check, you deprive those who have given like with unbelievable joy, you have deprived them of watching God at work. You have taken away the blessing. So don't do that. There's a reason that many will give today above and beyond. The reason that many will type in a number into that text thread. You can leave that, put that text number up, gentlemen, for giving. There's a reason that people will do this. Yeah, don't choose Sanctuary Central, choose future builders. <laughs> There's joy in giving and a joy in receiving. So let's experience that joy. Let's experience together the goodness of God. Let's experience the beauty, the beauty of, of koinonia, of the kingdom of God, of the church. And so that it can be said when we talk about the favor of all the people, man, may it be said, hey, would you do this weekend? May your response be not be nothing. My response, oh, what do we do? Oh man, I just like, I, I get together with a couple people in like a big old, very cold cathedral downtown. And uh, oh, what do you do? Oh, you know, we just took care of like some medical debt in the city and we helped like resource and finance some like refugees. And what else did we do? Oh yeah, yeah, we helped. There's some other people I was sitting next to who I don't really know, but I had a sense that we're hurting. And so I like, put some money in so I could like take care of them. So we're gonna sing. 
And we're going to sing this familiar song, let the king of my heart, like it's a crowning God, king of our heart and of our lives and of our finances. And then we just declare together, you're good. You're good always. You're good always. And declare that over this moment of giving and receiving as we close our time. So would you stand and give? Would you stand and take? Would you come forward as we sing? And would you worship together with us? We worship together alongside those that are leaping and those that are limping and declare the beauty and wonder and glory of God.